There's several really powerful applications. Of course, deferring taxes so that you get the compound interest effect is big. But 1031 also allows you to move your real estate around into different classes of investment real estate. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to mention Trevor McGregor. Trevor is a real estate results coach. I've been paying him and working with him for years now. He actually is responsible for giving me the idea to do a podcast. So it's not only about transactions that he gives advice on, how to find more deals, how to make more money, but also how to build a holistic plan around your real estate entrepreneurship endeavors. That's what I love about working with Trevor, that and being held accountable for what I say I'm going to do and actually making sure that I follow through and do it. I feel like I'm a pretty results-oriented, accountable kind of person, but it's always nice to have someone who's there guiding you along the way and giving you strategy as well as psychology tips for how to deal with you know the things that come up as a real estate entrepreneur. Trevor has made a wonderful offer for the best ever listeners, and that is that he's offering a free coaching session. Go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-W-I-T-H-T-R-E-V-O-R.com. Highly recommend them. I've worked with them before. I'm currently working with them right now as my business, as my real estate investing coach. Highly recommend you do the same. Take them up on his offer. Get a free coaching session. Coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners. Hello, hello. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out all that fluffy stuff. We don't get into it. This is only about real estate insights that move your business forward. And we've got a wonderful guest for you today. We're going to talk 1031 exchanges and how he has shaped his portfolio over the years and has yet to pay a penny on real estate tax. How are you doing, Dave Foster? Hey, Joe. I'm doing great. and It's good to be with you. Well, I'm glad that you're here, my friend, and looking forward to diving right in a little bit about Dave, and then we'll get into it. He specializes in multiple ways for investors to create portfolio-enhancing strategies using 1031 exchanges, and he'll explain what that is if you're not familiar with it, and then we'll get into details. He is a regional development director at MSM and has over 20 years of experience in all phases of real estate from investing in large-scale institutional type of developments to vacation rentals and everything in between. You can say hi to him and his company at ERG, that's Elephant Roger Giraffe1031.com. <laughs> so ERG1031.com. And he's joining us from sunny St. Petersburg, Florida, although his company's based in Colorado. With that being said, Dave, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Yeah, absolutely. It's just funny. I mean, you have the same response that everybody does. We're going to let Dave tell you more about whatever that is. Well, I know what it is, but I I want you to, because you know you're an expert. Yeah. Well, you know, back in the mid nineties, when there was some really weird things that happened with some major case law changes and this animal called the 1031 exchange really became a mainstream piece of real estate investing. And when we started our first intermediary firm back in the mid nineties, people would ask us, what do you do? And we didn't know how to explain it. We'd say, well, we're in real estate, a form of real estate. Oh, do you buy and sell? Well, no, we're intermediaries. Well, what's that mean? Well, we facilitate 1031 exchanges. 
oh, what's that? So finally, we just resorted to default setting of, well, we can tell you, but if we do, we'll have to kill you. <laughs> and that seemed to work. But really what it is, is over the course of time, Section 1031 of the IRS code, which has been around since 1920, has become user-friendly for the rank-and-file investor in today's real estate economy. And what 1031 does is it allows you to sell investment real estate and use the proceeds to purchase new investment real estate. And in the middle, you don't have to pay tax on the profits. It's a tax-deferred, I want to call it tax-free because there's ways to eliminate it, but it's a tax-deferred way to grow your real estate portfolio. And the closest thing you could compare it to is think about your retirement accounts. The IRS lets you use those without taking the tax out. They let you use the tax money that's in it until finally at the end of the game. What a powerful tool that is. And the 1031 exchange allows you to do that with real estate outside your retirement accounts. Makes sense. And I know you have used it in your own personal portfolio. So can you walk us through how you've used it? There's several really powerful applications. Of course, deferring taxes so that you get the compound interest effect is big. But 1031 also allows you to move your real estate around into different classes of investment real estate that might be more profitable at any one time. You know, Joe, you and I were having the discussion about the difference uh, you're investing in apartment buildings. Other people might like commercial. Other people love those single family rentals. 1031 allows you to move back and forth between those classes without ever triggering that tax event so that you can move between classes and it allows you to move geographically. Think about what's happening nationally right now. Where, you know, where are some of the hot spots? Well, you know, things are really hot and happening out in California, but maybe Houston, Texas is depressed. So using the 1031 exchange, you can again move your portfolios where you want them and into what type of real estate you want them without having to pay tax by doing it. And what I was sharing with you was the fun story of my last 20 years where we were in Denver, Colorado, and we needed water to sail on because the sailboat was in our dreams. So we ended up moving our entire real estate portfolio to Stamford, Connecticut, where I could keep my eyes on it, monitor it, run it, and grow it. And after a year or two of being in Stamford, Joe, we realized we'd forgotten to ask God for warm water. <laughs> So that was how we ended up moving our entire portfolio then down to Florida, again, without paying any tax, carving out some tax-free by combining the primary residence exclusion with 1031 exchanges. And then from there, I've been able to branch out geographically. We're doing some things in Kansas. We've got some other things going, strangely enough, again in Denver. And that's all being done by me personally. It's all being done without ever paying any tax on real estate gain. What do you mean when you say combining the pres primary resident exclusion? Oh, that's probably the most awesome feature of this whole thing. There's really two sections of the code that deal with real estate and giving you a tax break. 1031 exchanges deal with investment real estate. and They let you defer it by selling an investment and buying investment. 
Section 121, and you may have had a guest that's already spoken on this, but Section 121 allows you, if you own a piece of real estate that you've lived in for two out of the previous five years, to sell that and take the first $250,000 or $500,000 if you're married tax-free. And when you were you know, referencing the you know, different types of investments that you're doing and moving them around, what type of paperwork is involved? And can you go through just the, the timeline that you have from selling to actually purchasing and identifying all that good stuff? Right. Well, to finish up the example with 121, and we'll move right into that because that's, that's very relevant. Absolutely. Is, of course, that the IRS then allows you to do that with your primary residence once every two years. So when we left Denver, one of the properties that we sold was a primary residence. That money was tax-free. What we bought in Connecticut was a primary residence. And then we, of course, used the 1031 to buy some investment properties. After a year or two, we converted one of those properties that we had bought into a new primary residence. Once we'd lived in it for two years, we then sold that when we moved to Florida. And again, that money was tax-free, moved into a property in Florida that we had previously transitioned with the 1031. So at each stage of our movement, Joe, we were taking a certain portion of our tax-deferred portfolio and turning that into tax-free cash in our pockets by doing the conversion process from investment into primary residence. Now, if you've got a wife who loves to nest, it's not for the faint of heart. But we usually or a husband. Well, exactly, exactly. (laughs) We tell our clients who are contemplating that it's like they say, "Well, Dave, how do we know when it's time to sell and move into the next one?" And my advice usually is, when it's time to redecorate or renovate, don't just move. And that that seems to resonate sometimes. (laughs) But so. The 1031 exchange, which is kind of the crux of the start of this whole piece, does have some very rigorous and specific timeline and documentation requirements. The first, of course, is that you must use the services of what the industry calls a qualified intermediary. That is someone who documents the exchange for you. It is someone that holds the proceeds for you. And it's someone who guides you through the timing and valuation requirements to make sure that you stay in compliance with the IRS regulations. So you use a QI who documents it. The statutory order of a 1031 is reversed from what you normally think. We think of buying real estate and then selling real estate. The 1031 exchange is selling real estate, and that starts it. Buying real estate completes it. So there's documentation at the beginning that documents the start of your exchange when you sell real estate. Now, from that moment in time, you're under a ticking clock. You've got 45 days to identify your potential replacements. You've got a total of 180 days to complete those purchases. So if you're looking to go out of region, you need good people on your team. You need people bird-dogging properties. You need good legal counsel. You need good, good realtors involved. You need good accountants. You need a good QI, of course. And all those people work together to keep you on the straight side. And actually, that's really whether or not you're trying to leave the region or whether you're trying to buy a new property in your hometown. You want the same team of people 
that are all going to be on the same page working with you towards that. So there's the timing issues. Now, in addition to the timing issues, there's valuation issues. The IRS says that in order to defer all the tax on your profits, you've got to purchase at least as much as you sell. And you have to use all of your cash in the next purchase or purchases. So you can't take cash out of a 1031 exchange without paying some tax. As a matter of fact, you can't touch the cash in between your sale and purchase. So I still get a call every couple weeks where someone says, hey, I just sold a piece of property, closed on it, I'm ready to do a 1031 exchange. And I cringe and get ready for the explosion. <laughs> Say, you know, I'm really sorry, but as soon as you touched that money, you were done. It's now taxable. So the IRS has to let you do 1031 exchanges, but they certainly don't have to make it user friendly. And they are very prescriptive in the process that it takes. When should somebody reach out to a QI? which is a new term that I learned on this conversation, uh, qualified intermediary. Right. Uh, when should they reach out to that person if they have a property and they're thinking down the road they're going to sell and they'd be interested in doing in 1031? There's like a range of answers to that. The drop dead is right before you close the papers to sell it. That's so, it? Just that, that that's, soon? Or that's the, the furthest... Our record, quite frankly, my record is 22 minutes. We were actually, I happened to attend a closing with our client who was finishing up an exchange and they were buying. Across the table, the people selling looked at me kind of funny, you know, because I'm the new weird guy in the room. And they said, well, who the heck are you? You know, thinking I was an enforcer or something. I don't know. I said, well, I'm the QI. What is that? I'm the guy who's helped doing a 1031 exchange for them. And again, what is that? Well, these guys are not going to have to pay tax on their profits. And you heard the shoe <laughs> pop. And they said, really, you can do that? I said, yeah. They said, well, can we do that? I said, sure, because you haven't signed the closing yet. So we took a break. Everybody got a cup of coffee. 22 minutes later, the documents were done. And those people had embarked on their own 1031 exchange. Mm. Awesome deal, huh? So that's the furthest you want to go. Don't push me any further. <laughs> what? The reality is that it is such a powerful planning tool that as soon as you get an inkling of, you know what, I think it's time to sell this. I think it's time to move this. Start those ideas percolating and use your QI as a sounding board for the possible scenarios that might take you where you want to go with your particular plan. What paperwork is required in that process? I mean, if it was done in 22 minutes, was it just the basic paperwork and then they filled it out later? Or was that the complete, <coughs> all the documentation that's required and it was able to process? Right. Well, the devil's in the details or the fleshing out of everything. The actual framework to start an exchange is just some documents that go along with the closing. It's the monitoring of that and the further documentation as you go down the road. The 45-day identification period, the second closing, their account needs an entire package from the QI in order to fill out the Form 8824, 
which is what they fill out for their annual tax return. So there's a huge number of pieces of documentation, but the initial documentation to start the ball rolling, like I say, really isn't that onerous. But it's the details following that that make it a pretty rigorous process. What's the cost for an investor to do this? Nothing that's industry standard, but surprisingly inexpensive compared to what you're saving. A normal exchange will probably cost you from 600 to 1000 bucks, but it's usually not based like a realtor's commission on the size of the deal. So that makes it kind of nice. Uh, we always tell people we'll probably be the smallest item on your settlement statement. With the type of you know process that's involved in, uh, as you mentioned, the devil's in the details. So really it's about the oversight after that initial paperwork's completed. If something does go wrong, since the investor was working with a, a QI, a qualified intermediary, do they have any safety net? Or if something goes wrong on the QI's end and they miss a step, then, uh, sorry, out of luck, you have to pay taxes. Well, this goes back to something that you just mentioned briefly a second ago. QI was a new term for you. It stands for qualified intermediary. Of course, you're going, Dave, I just learned this. Here's the most interesting thing about that. And I don't want it to scare people, but I want it to make people think. By IRS definition, you are a qualified to be an intermediary if you are not disqualified. That does not surprise me because I saw an episode of American Greed <laughs> where <laughs> where the, the the QI was taking money through 1031 and then they ran away and went to Tahiti or something. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, so that doesn't surprise way, me. And the only way you're disqualified is if you have a business or family relationship with a client. So the very people you would normally trust to do your 1031 <laughs> are the ones the IRS will let you use. Your banker, your insurance agent, your realtor, your brother, maybe not your brother-in-law, but that's a different story. But those are the people that are disqualified. So the industry itself has grown up kind of like in the Wild West. Mm -hmm. But just like the Wild West, the six-shooter took care of a lot of the bad actors. And what has happened is there's now an industry that has everybody from individual attorney firms that do a few exchanges a year to companies like ours that that's all we do. And we're usually accountants and attorneys because, quite frankly, nobody else cares enough about this part of the law to ever want to get involved in it. We got to be nerds. So we do it proudly. And then what people need to do is take a look at the other protections that they're going to have, whether that's bonding, Arizona omissions insurance, those kind of things. Obviously, no QI in the world can guarantee an exchange because it's dependent way too much on what's going on with the client's individual life and other, other aspects of their life. But a QI should be able to guarantee their work and their counsel in terms of what's right. But the most important thing, Joe, and this is where people, I think, really need to focus is what about the money? Show me the money. Where is it? And the best thing that has happened to the industry since the last fiascos of the 2000s is that the IRS is now allowing us to create what are called dual signatory segregated accounts. That's nerd talk 
for your exchange money has its own account that's not mingled with anybody else's. And your exchange account takes two signatures to move money, yours and the QIs. So there'll be no more going to Tahiti if you're with a QI that takes your signature to move money. Mm. And if it's in a segregated account, you never have to worry about some other client's gas station becoming an EPA Superfund site. Mm. So that's really the most elegant, beautiful way to make sure that you're protected. Ask your QI, is it going to be dual signatory? Is it going to be a segregated account? We're actually starting to see a lot of states jump on the board and require these. So I think we're starting to see some maturing in the industry that's going to prevent some of those things in the future. I'm looking forward to the day, Joe, when finally our firm is deemed by the IRS to be too big to fail. I just think that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that segregated account dual signature advice is priceless. Uh, but I, we're going to see if you can even up it even more so because here's the money question. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Always anticipate the worst and plan for the best. And by that, I mean, you and I were talking about your guest the other day that was coming out of bankruptcy and how of the mid-2000s and how that, what was his name, Joe? Let's shout him out. Nick Ruiz. Nick Ruiz. That guy came from everything to nothing in the last bus, back to everything. And when you listen to what he did, he mitigated his risk at every step. He lessened his leverage to where he could anticipate the worst but then plan for the best return. And that was letting him ramp those things up. From the 1031 perspective, to take it back to that, since that's my best advice ever, you can do the exact same thing by positioning your real estate into places where you've got the lowest amount of risk to anticipate the worst, but then to plan for the greatest upside. Love it. And best ever listeners, we are referring to episode 515 titled How He Survived Bankruptcy and Rose from the Ashes Twice. It's a Situation Saturday. Dave, you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's go. All right, let's go. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need more leads for your real estate business and do you need a platform to help you get those leads? Well, Danny Johnson, previous best ever guest, episode 294 has exactly the solution for you, best ever listeners. Go to leadpropeller.com and that's going to help you, well, get more leads. He's got a website service that you can sign up for. It's a money-back guarantee for the first 30 days, so no risk involved. Leadpropeller.com. You can also click the link in the show notes page and that will take you right there. Best ever book you've read? Best ever book I read the Bible. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Going through short sales in the mid 2000s and I learned to anticipate the worst and plan for the best. Best ever way you like to give back? I love to contribute to children. We were fortunate, this is light, I'll go lightning fast. We were blessed to be able to go to Guatemala and teach CPR and children's first aid to Compassion International Centers for two months because I had my passive real estate portfolio working for us. And that was so awesome to help those people out that way. 
Best ever deal you've done. I bought a tract of land in Kansas in 2000 for $300,000. I sold it eight months later for $1.2 million and carried back some paper. They lost it. I foreclosed. I got it back, and we're now selling the remainder of it for around $3 million. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Over leverage. Thinking that appreciation never stops and trying to translate mega trends over 100 years and convince myself that they're going to be consistent over the course of a few years. What's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you? 850-889-1031. The last four numbers of the phone number is 1031. Of course. (laughs) What's the number? 850- 850-889-1031. Oh my gosh. ERG1031.com. That's just awesome branding. (laughs) Uh, Props to you and the, the team for that. I just thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show and talking about your experience. It's refreshing to hear your experience in something that you're currently doing and really uh, focused on versus kind of just talking about something in theory. And uh, you're using 1031 exchanges in your own personal portfolio. Uh, You work for a 1031 exchange company. Makes a whole lot of sense. I was taking notes throughout the entire conversation, but a couple of things I want to mention here. Using the primary resident exclusion, definitely a, a tool in the toolkit within the 1031 exchange as well as the segregated accounts and dual signatures when you're working with a QI so that you make sure that your money stays put and you're working with a, a reputable person, as well as the cost involved too, which surprises me, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, between $600 to $1,000 on average for typical type of deals. We didn't get into outliers and you know, we, don't, we don't have time on this call, but for typical deals, uh, that, that's the approach. Uh, and you know, just overall, the, the process involved with 1031 Exchanges. Thank you so much for being on the show, sharing this uh, insight with the best ever listeners. And I hope you have the best ever day. And we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Thank you, Joe. Do you need more leads for your real estate business? And do you need a platform to help you get those leads? Well, Danny Johnson, previous best ever guest, episode 294, has exactly the solution for you, best ever listeners. Go to leadpropeller.com and that's going to help you, well, get more leads. He's got a website service that you can sign up for. It's a money back guarantee for the first 30 days, so no risk involved. Leadpropeller.com. You can also click the link in the show notes page and that will take you right there.